Well, this morning I told you that I, uh, already that I want to talk to you about a situation, uh, an appearance of Jesus, and a situation involving the Apostle Peter. I believe that there's a lot that we can learn about Peter's story and how Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection and how, how he was restored by Christ. And I want to start my message this morning by asking you uh, a simple question, really a rhetorical question, one to which you already know the answer, and I do too, but just to kind of get your mind thinking. I want you to think about a failure that you've had in your, in, in your life. Have you ever, have you ever failed? You ever, you ever failed at anything? You ever not made the grade, not made the team, not gotten the job? Ever had a goal that you wanted to accomplish and you just, you just kind of weren't able to do it? And you felt like a failure? Obviously, the answer to that for all of us, at some point, there's going to be something that we're going to want to do, something that you want to, we want to accomplish, and we're not going to accomplish that goal. But have you ever failed someone that you love, someone that's close to you? Uh, maybe you failed in that way. But really more to my point today, have you ever failed the Lord? Have you ever felt like a spiritual failure? Have you ever said something or done something that made you feel like that you had not quite lived up to what God wanted for you to do? And, uh, you know, if the resurrected Jesus was, uh, was to appear to you today in bodily form, how would that make you feel? Would you feel like, mm, I've just been a failure in my life spiritually? I haven't really done the things that I need to do or been the person that I need to be. And so for the idea of Jesus appearing to me like he did all the apostles and the people in Scripture, a little bit scary. Maybe you, maybe you feel like that, that you, would, you would be ashamed uh, in a situation like that. I suppose that spiritual failures happen in our life. In fact, I know they do, just like regular failures in life. All of us are going to fail. We're going to make a spiritual commitment, and perhaps we don't keep it. We're going to have a, a commitment, say, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to maybe read the whole Bible in a year, or I'm going to start praying more, and then we just don't do it. Or we say, you know, I'm going to do a three-day fast, and maybe we just kind of quite don't make it. Or maybe your, your, your failures are a little deeper than that. Maybe you feel like that you have failed the Lord because you have fallen into sin. Or maybe you have just fallen away from the Lord altogether. Maybe not a particular sin that's in your life, but you just feel like that maybe you've, you've drifted away. Or perhaps you've been deliberately disobedient. You've, maybe you've deliberately failed in your walk with Christ this morning. How do, you, how do you think God responds when we fail him? That's what we're going to look at today. In this appearance that Jesus made to Peter, and we're going to, we're going to eventually end up in, Rome, excuse me, in John chapter 21, we're going to have a little bit that we can learn today about Peter's failure and how God responded to him. And I think we're going to learn a little bit, a, a little something about how God responds to us whenever, whenever we spiritually fail. Besides Judas, there is no other apostle with a worse recorded failure than Peter. Uh, how, how would you like for your failures and your flaws to be in Scripture for everyone to read throughout time? 
This is true uh, of Peter. And so we're going to look at we're going to look at his failure, but first I want us to look at Peter's life leading up to that failure because obviously it started off pretty good. Peter's Peter's life started off pretty well. I mean, he didn't he didn't he didn't start off rocky. I mean, he always had flaws, but he started off pretty good. And so I'm going to invite you uh, to open up your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, uh, there's some Bibles in the pews there for you. Um, and of course, we'll have the Scripture on the screen. Uh, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter five. Uh, Luke chapter five. Uh, we see how everything began with Peter. We kind of see how his. Uh, how his story began in Luke chapter 5. And it began, uh, it began one morning, presumably early one morning, after he had been out fishing all night and didn't catch anything, just like Rick Lowhorn uh, goes fishes all night and, and doesn't catch anything. Uh, he really does fish at night. Anybody else fish at night? You are crazy people if you're out there all night fishing. Well, back then, this is how they did it professionally. They would go fish all night, and they did not catch a single thing. They're ready to wash their nets and go home, and Jesus decides that he needs an aquatic pulpit, and so he uh, he. He commandeers Peter's boat. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. It says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone off of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who's also his name is Peter, he asked him to put out a little bit from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he took Peter's boat, and he pushed a little bit away from the crowd where he could see everyone, and he taught them. And, and I, I guess Peter must have been in a benevolent mood after fishing all night and not catching anything. Uh, and then Jesus kind of pushed Peter a little bit further. He said, hey, Peter, take me fishing, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he said, put out into deep, into the deep, and let's put down your nets for a catch. Now you can imagine Peter in this situation thinking, man, we've been at this all night and we hadn't caught anything. Uh, but just to kind of appease Jesus, he did. And verse 6 says, they caught so many fish that they could barely drag the net to shore. And as the story goes, if we were to keep reading, basically, Peter goes up to Jesus after this miracle, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he basically confesses his sin, just like you and I do whenever we get saved. He confesses his sin, and he says, I'm not worthy. And, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, hey, listen, everything is about to change. Everything in your life is about to be different. And he said to him, I believe it's in, uh, in verse 10, he said, don't be afraid. He said, from now on, you will be catching men. Your life is going to be different now. You're going to have different goals. And Peter's response, he left everything, presumably left his boat, left his net, left everything behind and followed Jesus. I bet you can remember where it all began. Can you, can you remember where your spiritual life began? That day that you received Jesus as Savior and just how excited you were about your newfound faith. 
just how committed you were to read your Bible and to attend church, to walk in godliness, uh, to pursue the Lord and be the person that God called you to be. I'm sure that that was the case with Peter in this particular situation. And like Peter, everything changed for you. Uh, everything, everything was different. And, and Peter, man, Peter was committed. If we look through the whole story of Peter, we would find Peter present with Jesus in pretty much all the major events and happenings of Jesus' ministry for three years. All those parables that Jesus told, um, all of those, uh, those famous sayings, um, uh, the miracles that Jesus performed, Peter was right there in those circumstances. And we have a lot of instances where Peter was interacting with Jesus. He was, he was committed. He was faithful. Now, like us, Peter had flaws. I mean, he was a little overassured. He often would uh, open mouth, insert foot, so to, so to speak. He would, he would say things out of turn. He would kind of say things that were, uh, that were kind of out of place. But he had one major situation, one major fail, one glaring instance in his life that was such a major failure, I bet he thought he could never come back from it. And, and Jesus actually predicted it. This was a situation where he denied Christ. As faithful and as committed as he was to Jesus and to the disciples and to Jesus' ministry, he had a failing that was so bad, he actually denied Christ. And we read about Jesus' prediction of this denial in Luke chapter 22. I'll flip over a couple of pages uh, to Luke chapter 22. And, uh, and we can read about this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the disciples had previously been arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. And as you can imagine, uh, Peter being in the inner circle, Peter being uh, probably quite possibly one of the most dominant among, uh, among the apostles, one of the more overassured, he was probably one of those that was trying to exert himself as being the greatest. And Peter, uh, Jesus said something to Peter in verse 31. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know, we all have flaws. We all have mistakes. We all say and do things that we shouldn't do. We all, we all have spiritual failures. And can I tell you something? Satan is right there at that moment wanting to destroy you and wanting to oversee your demise. He wants to do everything in that moment to destroy you. And, 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 and Jesus told Peter... He said, Satan wants to crush you. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Now, I don't know if, you, if, if you're familiar with how they used to farm back then, um, but they went through a process of, of sifting wheat. And the process of sifting wheat, it involved two tools, uh, two tools that you'll, will probably look familiar to you. One was called a flail. 
Uh, the flail that I have in this picture is like this, this handle with this spike ball. This is, this, is more of a, this is more of a flail as a weapon. Back then, they used to have flails that, you had, a, a, that had a handle on it, but it was also like this, it had a big spiked club at the end of it that you would swing, similar to that one, and they would put the wheat on the threshing floor, and they would beat it over and over and over again until they pounded it to dust. And then they would take a fork. This looks like a pitchfork, but they would kind of like a kind of like maybe you've been using in in uh, spreading your, your your mulch this spring. Except theirs was called a winnowing fork. It had a much longer handle. And after they had taken the flail, and after they had beaten that wheat uh, to, to a fine dust, they would take that winnowing fork and they would scoop it up and they would fling it into the air on a windy day, so that the wind would would carry away all the dust and all. All the particles and all the chaff and all the wheat would fall to the floor. And, and Satan told Peter, he's, or excuse me, Jesus told Peter, this is what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to pound you to dust and he wants to, to scatter you to the wind. And Jesus said something interesting. If we go back to chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, Jesus said, he said, I prayed for you. I don't know about you, but there is no one that I would want praying for me more in the midst of my failures and when I am right on the cusp of one of the worst and most, the most horrible failures of my life. There's no one that I would want praying for me more than the Son of God. And Jesus said, I'm praying for you. And what's interesting is he's not saying that I'm praying that you won't fail. He's not saying, I'm praying that you'll have the strength not to fail. He's saying, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. There's a difference between those two. You know, you can fail spiritually and not have your faith fail. You can, you can, even, you can commit a sin. You can do wrong. You can be disobedient. And you can do something that is a lapse of judgment that is, that's not walking in faith. But at the same time, not have your faith fail on you. And that's what Jesus said that he's praying. And, and, and Peter, you know, they say pride goes before a fall. Peter thinking he's some kind of spiritual Navy SEAL. Hey, don't worry about it, Jesus. I got this. I got this. He's, he probably has a similar, had a similar attitude that Jesus was observing in him whenever he and the other apostles were arguing over who was the greatest. And with this attitude, he don't worry about this. I'm, 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 I will go to prison with you. I will go to death with you. I am with you. I'm following you. And, and, and Jesus, in, in my imagination, Jesus looks at Peter with love in his eyes and with grace in his voice, and he says to him at the end of verse 34, he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times, not one time, but deny three times that you know me. Three times, and then it happened. Luke chapter 22, so just go forward a few verses to verse 54. Jesus got arrested. Jesus thought, I mean, Peter thought that he was going to be all big and bad and take out his sword and do some things. And Jesus said, put your sword away. And 
They lead Jesus away to the home of the high priest where he's beaten and mocked and spit upon. And a servant girl comes up to Jesus, comes up to Peter in verse 56. A servant girl comes up to Peter and says, uh, seeing that he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. Verse, uh, verse 58, And a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, by the way, in Matthew and in Mark, it says that Jesus uh, used curses and called down curses upon himself, saying, I don't, He just said, I don't know him, testifying against Christ, saying, I have no clue who he is. And then if we look and see uh, in, in verse 51, uh, 61, evidently Jesus was right there. The Bible says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. After presumably he had been beaten and Peter would deny him, he looked at, he turned and looked at Peter and, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times and he went out and wept bitterly. You know that sinking feeling that you have? That pit in your stomach when you realized you have made a grave mistake. You have done a great wrong. This is, this, this is how Peter felt in this moment. He went out and he wept bitterly. Maybe this is where some of you are today. Maybe you've been here in the past. Maybe, maybe you have felt the gaze of Christ upon you as, as your flaws and your mistakes and your failures and your sins and have, have, just, have just come to light. And, and maybe the thought of a resurrected Jesus appearing to you makes you feel ashamed or maybe you feel like that, that you would be, re, be rejected. But seeing how Jesus reacts to Peter later in, in this story is an indicator of how Jesus would, 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 uh, would, would react to us because based upon how he reacted to Peter. We do not have another recorded conversation between Jesus and Peter until we get to John chapter 21 where Jesus restores Peter, turn with me there to John chapter 21, and let's look at this story. We kind of go back to where we started. In chapter 21, verse, uh, uh, verse 1, it says uh, that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That is uh, the, the same sea that Jesus revealed himself to Peter the first time. And it says in verse 2 that Peter was there, and six other of the disciples were also there. And in verse 3... Doesn't tell us why. Peter just said, hey, let's, let's go fishing. This is where we find Peter all the way back in the very first scripture that we read. We find the same situation. We're going to see the same miracle that Jesus did for Peter at the beginning. We're going to see the same situation that Peter's going to be in again where he's questioned, uh, he's questioned by Jesus. And so verse 3, Peter says, hey, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to go fishing. They say, we'll go with you. And so they went out all night and they caught nothing. 
Same situation as whenever Jesus appeared the first time. And so in verse 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is the second time that Jesus has done the same miracle with Peter and some of the other disciples. Peter just kind of went back to his life, and Jesus came and found Peter in the same place and did the same exact miracle. And also, we see here in verse 7, it says, The disciple whom Jesus loved, which presumably was John, it says that uh, he said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Now, I distinctly remember a situation before where Peter was in a boat, and he saw Jesus walking on water, and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come with you. And Peter kind of steps out on the water, and he, gin- he, he kind of gingerly is walking across water. He, he sees the, the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink, and Jesus reaches out and rescues him. But in this situation, when he saw it was the Lord, it looks like he tried to walk on water on his own. He just thrust himself into the sea in order to get to Christ. And then the conversation that they have around shrimp po'boys on the beach, I've never had the Son of God cook me breakfast, but they did. Brought them some of that fish, and Jesus had made a fire, and he put some of that fish on there, and I can just, I I don't know, awkward breakfast, right? The resurrected Jesus is cooking fish for you, and you're all sitting around just kind of in amazement as, as, as he makes breakfast. And then Peter and Jesus have kind of a private conversation. Now, it could be that Peter had already seen Jesus. After all, the, the, the passages, uh, uh, the slides that I showed you before where he appeared to all the disciples. It, it could be that, that Jesus had already appeared to Peter. But here we have a situation where they're going to kind of have a private conversation. And the last time that, that, that we have in Scripture recorded that they had this private conversation was whenever he told Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like we, you're going to deny me. He denied him. And now they're about to have another conversation. I wonder, I wonder what, now you know what he's going to say because you've read the Bible. I wonder what Jesus is going to say. Wonder, wonder if he's going to say, well, next time are you going to stand up for me? I mean, you denied me three times before. That was a pretty big mistake, Peter. Are you, you going to stand up for me next time? I mean, i got a lot of work for you to do. I mean, you're going to be an apostle, and I want you to go and preach for me. Are you going to do a good job? Because I can't have someone failing on me. Well, have you learned a little humility, Peter? I mean, that situation where you're arguing and thinking you're all this and that, and then you deny me. I mean, are, are, are you humble now? Oh, I'm just so ashamed of you, Peter. I, can't, I mean, I, I needed you, man. I needed you. I mean, I was over here being beaten and whipped by all these uppity religious guys. And, I mean, you, you denied me in front of a servant girl? 
I mean, I'm really hurt by that, Peter. He didn't say any of that. He, sa- he says none of that. And you know, you, you, know how, you know how the story goes? He asked Peter three times to match Peter's three denials. He says, Peter, do you love me? I mean, after all, that's, that's what's most important, right? I mean, see, we think, our fail- we think our failures are so colossal. We think our failures, we think they're so life-ending. We think, oh, I have failed so bad that Jesus will never take me back. God will never receive me again. And Jesus just asks him, he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't give that confident tone again. He doesn't come out saying, oh, Lord, you know, I love you. you know, I mean, he says, Lord, yes, I love you. Lord, you know, you, know that, you know that I love you. And then Jesus just says, and he says that I think it's at the end of uh, verse 19. He takes Peter back to where it all started. He said, follow me. Just follow me. That's where it all started for Peter. By the same lake, same Jesus, same miracle, same situation, same everything, the same command. Just follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. You see, God shows us our sin, but he does not shun us for our sin. He didn't push Peter away. He, he, Peter knew his flaws. Peter didn't need God. Peter didn't need the Son of God telling him that he had done wrong and how evil and sinful his action was. Peter Peter knew that it was. And, And though Jesus brought his sin to light, he showed him his sin. He didn't shun him because of his sin. He didn't shun him because his his failure. In fact, he, he welcomed him back to himself. You see, it is in the midst of failures that Jesus is most likely to reveal himself to you. I don't really know why that is the case, but I find that it is at the worst of times that Jesus makes himself most known to me. It's those times of pain, it's those times of doubt, those times of sorrow, those times of struggle. It's in those times of sin and failure and guilt that it seems like the love and the grace of God is most present in our life. This is the God that we serve. Not a God that says, you failed, you're not worthy. But a God that says, you may have failed, but I have earned your salvation for you. Here's some application for you. I really hope this is helpful to you. Here's some application for you. I'll give these to you real quick. First off, everyone experiences failure. There's there's no one that's perfect. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's going to fail in life, and every one of us is going to fail in some way spiritually. I mean, it's just going to happen. And Jesus is not surprised or shocked. He is not surprised or shocked by your failures. In fact, he sees them coming before you do. The same that he did with Peter. He knew. He even told Peter. It was almost like Peter didn't believe the voice of the Son of God, but he he saw it coming before Peter did. He's not shocked. 
And do you want me to tell you who is your enemy in, your, in, in failures? The person that wants to destroy you when, you're, when you fail? It's not God hovering over you, waiting for you to mess up and fail so he can, he can punish you with his wrath. It's Satan. Satan is waiting to pounce on you like a roaring lion whenever you mess up. He has his flail, and he wants to pound you to dust. He has his winnowing fork, and he wants to scatter your spiritual life to the wind. God doesn't want to do that. Satan is the one that that does this. Never is the spiritual battle more real than when you mess up. And never is Satan attacking you harder than whenever you're the weakness. But Jesus is there with you. In fact... Jesus is not trying to prevent you from failing. He's not trying to prevent you from failing. He wants your faith to be strengthened through the failure. Jesus is praying for you. Just as as he prayed for Peter, that his faith might not fail. Jesus is praying for you. The The Bible says that he is your advocate that he's right there with you. I, I would like to know what Jesus is praying for me whenever I'm, whenever I'm struggling, whenever I'm in the midst of failure, whenever I'm in the midst of sin. I'd like to know what Jesus is praying for me. It's probably, it's probably something like he prayed for, G, for, 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 for Peter, that my faith might not fail. Do you know Jesus is never going to give up on you? If you belong to the Lord... Jesus says that no one will snatch you out of his hand. You belong to him. He's never going to give up on you. You can't fail so much that Jesus just says, you know what? He's just, he's just sinning too much. I can't take it. Just remove him out of my sight. He's never going to give up on you. He's like a shepherd looking for the lost sheep. And when Jesus finds you, he puts you on his shoulder and he brings you back to the fold. And if this is where you are today, I can tell you that just like Peter, you can be restored. You can be restored in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. We're gonna, let's, we're gonna, we're gonna, this, this is a verse that Peter himself wrote. All the other verses that we, that we read are verses that were written about Peter. This verse, Peter wrote. Look at, look at how he summarizes his story. He says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is Peter encouraging others with his story. He suffered. He had failings. He denied Christ. But the God of all grace and mercy himself, Jesus himself, restored him, confirmed him, strengthened him, established him. I can tell you today that if if, if your life has been a spiritual failure... And, if, and even if, it, if it's not right now, if it happens to happen that way one day, that Jesus wants to restore you. And that he waits to restore you and to show you his love. Do you know there is no greater victory that has ever been had than the resurrection of Christ? 
There is no other victory that has ever taken. No one has ever defeated death. No one has ever been that victorious except for Jesus. But do you know it wasn't just Jesus' victory? You know it was our victory too? It's my victory. It's your victory. And do you know that victory is big enough to cover over all your failures? That's why he rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. Because the life that he lives and the victory that he has translates over to us. What's your story? What's your story like? You remember your call like Peter? Do you, do you remember the, how Jesus showed up and did something great and wonderful and awesome in your life? What about your denials? What about your flaws, your shortcomings, your failures? You can probably remember those too. What about your restoration? You know, this is kind of a cycle I find that a lot of Christians experience. Is that they, they have a failure, they have a denial, they have a flaw. Jesus comes to them, appears to them, wraps his arms around them, woos them back, to, shows them grace and shows them mercy, restores them. And maybe that's, maybe that's what the Lord needs to do right now in your life. Maybe Jesus would ask you the same question that he asked Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? I think that's a good question in the midst of restoration, in the midst of a failure. Jesus would just say, do you love me? Not have you learned your lesson, not have you, are you going to straighten up now, but do you love me? I mean, that's the first and greatest commandment. And I wonder if also, just like, just like Peter, where he told Peter at the very beginning, and he tells Peter now in John chapter 21, he just says, follow me. Do you know that, do you know that command is never revoked? It's never revoked. There's never a time that Jesus would say, you know what? Your life is just too messed up. Don't follow me anymore. You've just made too many mistakes. You have too many flaws. There's just too much sin in your life. Don't follow me anymore. No, Jesus would say, hey, do you love me? Let's have a love relationship together. Let's have a personal relationship. Follow me. Be like me. Live the life that I lived. Do you need to be restored today? I want to offer you a chance uh, to pray and ask God for restoration. I want, to, I want to just give you a chance to think. Uh, you, maybe you can think about something that's going on in your life right now that you uh, would need to pray about. And um, maybe you're in the midst of a failure. Maybe you're coming out of a failure. Maybe there's something that you just, you're carrying around this guilt from something so long ago. And you just need to offer it up to the Lord and just be restored. I want to give you an opportunity to pray and just to get that right with God. Or maybe you have never experienced new life in Christ. Maybe today, as we celebrate Resurrection Day, maybe this would be the day that you're raised from the dead, that you called upon Jesus and that you were saved. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And you take a few moments just to pray and just to talk to the Lord and say to Him just whatever you feel like that you need to say. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you call upon the name of the Lord. Just say, Jesus, save me. And if there's other flaws or anything that's going on in your life that you need to pray about, I want you to feel the love of the Son of God over you right now. In the midst of this failure, I want you to feel and sense that He's with you. Just offer it up to Him. Just pray. You spend about 30 seconds praying, and then, and then Pastor Andy will lead us in a song.